What is up and welcome in to the Fan Section Podcast. My name is Tyson, normally joined by Alan. Uh, because of a scheduling conflict, unfortunately, you're stuck with just me again today. Alan is feeling better and will hopefully be back after this slate of week four games. But uh, with that being said, uh, the Fan Section Podcast, just a couple of buddies Talking college, dropping knowledge from section 100 to 300, the bleachers to the suites. We are here to bring you the insight, the details, the statistics and data that you're not going to get on your normal television or radio broadcast. We're going to talk about teams that are closer to you. We're not just going to talk about the L.A. teams, the New York City teams. Uh, We're going to talk about the whole landscape of college football, and that is... Uh, how we're going to start things off is just with some news. Uh, and, well, first of all, maybe let's just run through the uh, injury news here. Uh, Army quarterback, Tyler, uh, Tyler, he's a rotational quarterback, is questionable for the game coming up this Saturday. Ball State linebacker Brandon Martin, who is first-team All-Mac, questionable with a knee. Boston College quarterback Phil Jerkovich is out for the season. So that was their starting quarterback. They're undefeated. They're Maybe a tough go for them now moving forward. Uh, Central Florida, similar situation. Dylan Gabriel out indefinitely. Their quarterback with a collarbone. Florida's quarterback, Anthony Richardson, didn't play this last week against Alabama. He's still questionable with a hamstring injury. Um, Houston uh, quarterback, Clayton Toon, questionable coming into this uh, weekend's game as well. Uh, Miami quarterback, De'Eric King, questionable with a shoulder North Carolina uh, running backs, both British Brown and D.J. Jones, questionable with undisclosed injuries. Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud is probable with shoulder uh, shoulder pain injury. Uh, Ohio State running back Mayan Williams, questionable with an illness. Um, Purdue wide receiver David Bell. Boy, Purdue, uh, Notre Dame finally, uh, finally, I thought, really uh, lived up to the hype in the second half of that game against Purdue. Uh, closing closing out what I think is actually a pretty good Purdue team, but their, their star wide receiver, David Bell, is going to be questionable with a concussion moving into next week's acti- action. San Diego State quarterback Jordan Brookshire, questionable with a foot injury. Um, South Carolina quarterback Luke Doughty is still probable, uh, was questionable, still is now probable with a foot injury. Uh, Texas A&M, a, guy, a player I, I was really high on uh, in the preseason, but... Uh, Anaya Smith hasn't been spectacular this year. Wide receiver, kind of all-around skill player. He's questionable with a concussion coming into uh, this coming week's game against Arkansas. And USC, boy, they thought they found their uh, their savior in uh, when Keaton Slovis went out in their quarterback Jackson Dart. Well, Jackson Dart is questionable with a knee injury. Um, and then Washington State, this is uh, fascinating. Their starting quarterback, Jaden Delora. Is questionable with a knee injury. Their backup quarterback, Jarrett Guarantano, uh, the transfer from Tennessee, is questionable um, with an undisclosed situation. Uh, LSU now has five players listed as out uh, indefinitely for academics. Eek, maybe something to keep an eye on there. Uh, some news from around the uh, college football landscape. Apparently uh, today old, or yesterday, Old Miss's quarterback or coach Lane Kiffin created an Instagram profile. <laughs> he got pretty quickly, you know, thousands of followers, but he was only following one profile. 
and that was uh, Arch Manning, the number one quarterback recruit in the country. Uh, you know, I mean, that's one way to make a splash, I suppose. His grandpa, Archie Manning, uh, went to Ole Miss, and his uncle, Eli Manning. So this is um, this is not Peyton's son. This is not Eli's son. It's the other brother's son. But his uncle, Eli Manning, went to Ole Miss as well. Also, I mentioned on the last podcast, it's official. Charlie Brewer has left the Utah program. Uh, it's so funny. I was talking to my dad the other day, uh, you know, uh, me as a Colorado fan, and my dad was saying, well, <laughs> What would it take to get them down to, to Colorado to get him down to Colorado? <laughs> so, um, but Utah seems to be in better hands now with Cameron Rising, to be honest. Uh, but kind of the big corporate news of the day uh, today on Wednesday, uh, ten the ten all ten major college conference commissioners, Power Five and Group of Five, uh, and Notre Dame's athletic director uh, met in the Dallas area uh, to discuss uh, a plan further discuss a plan to move, uh, expand the college football playoff. Uh, ultimately, that was kind of stalled. Um, the, the management committee was unable to come up with a consensus on whether to grow the postseason uh, format from four to 12 teams. It sounds like that they, there was discussion of an eight-team format as well, so that's a little bit interesting. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's been fun to kind of follow this because, you know, initially – Boy, this was maybe last, what, March or April. Uh, it sounded like when that first investigatory committee got together, it sounded like pretty much everybody was on board to expand the playoff to 12 teams, right? I mean, we're, we're talking from 4 to 12. You know, those of us who were proponents of expanding it were thinking maybe, maybe we get 6, maybe we get 8. But they came out with that bold number of 12. Well, since then, obviously, Oklahoma and Texas and the SEC had that uh, news come about. And then you saw, in response to that, uh, kind of the Pac-12 uh, new commissioner, George Kliakov, uh, and the new uh, commissioner up in uh, the Big Ten, and a few other conferences kind of used that as a bartering tool. And sort of they, at that point, they began to say, well, you know, maybe we aren't fully on board with this expansion to a 12-team playoff, um, just sort of to try and reprimand the SEC. But it sounds like right now, the majority of the, of the difference sort of centers around whether there will be uh, six automatic bids to the playoff in a 12-team format or not. So, uh, as you can imagine, a five-team automatic bid would mean each of the Power Five conferences, the Big 12, the ACC, the SEC, the Big 10, and the Pac-12, their conference champion would get an automatic invitation. Well, as you can imagine, the group of five commissioners are not on board with that. They want to ensure that there's at least six automatic bids, and that sixth would be the highest-ranked uh, non-Power 5 team, um, which doesn't seem terribly unreasonable. Uh, but what you may end up uh, finding down the line is, you know, I mean, first of all, it's really, really rare and difficult for a non-Power 5 team to get it into the top 10, 12. And so what you may end up finding down the line is, say, you're the SEC, and you've got Alabama at 1, Georgia at 6, and then Florida is the 12th team. Well, maybe Fresno State is 15, but they're the highest uh, non-Power 5 team. They would go to the playoff. Fresno State would ahead of Florida. So, um, obviously, they're not on board with that. But ultimately, next week, there's supposed to be a meeting in Chicago, uh, and this will, be, uh, this will include the college football playoff a board of managers. So, 
uh, there's a little bit of a misconception. Football, college football, doesn't work the same as any other sport. The NCAA basically has no purview over the playoff. That's an entirely independent uh, entity, and it's headed up by the college football playoff board of managers. The uh, the conferences, the commissioners, the the teams, the athletic directors, they have basically no sway uh, in the decision-making process. So what they're going to be doing is meeting with the board and basically proposing different options uh, and trying to convince the board to side with them. Uh, ultimately, the board will make the decision that they make. Um, and like I said, yeah, the board has final say in all matters related to the playoff. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, I know that's not directly uh, related to action on the field, but I think it's a fascinating kind of developing story uh, uh, in the landscape of college football. And with that being said, let's get to the previews. That is right. We've got some audio effects now. So we've got two fantastic games. I want to start by highlighting um, that are on uh Starting on Friday, this coming Friday, September the 24th, we have uh, Wake Forest coming in 3-0 and off of their win uh, against Florida State this last weekend uh, against a, a really pretty good 2-1 and Virginia Cavaliers team coming off of a loss where North Carolina beat them pretty handily and really, really kind of looked like the North Carolina we were looking for all year. This game is at 5 p.m. on ESPN2 this Friday. Uh, Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman has been playing well, uh, not 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 outstanding, not um, transcendent, but playing well uh, within himself. 691 yards, six touchdowns, and only one interception on the season. He's also mobile. He's got 66 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, the running back uh, stable Beal Smith and Turner uh, combined have uh, 349 yards and six touchdowns. So they kind of do a little. Uh, not necessarily running back by committee, but they, they rotate these two guys in and out. Their defense, Wake Forest defense, has created eight sacks on the season, six interceptions, and three fumbles. Okay, So they're not to be trifled with. Uh, Wake Forest, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to believe that they're one of only two remaining undefeated teams in the ACC, but I think especially with Boston College's quarterback going down, Wake Forest has the best chance to continue that streak along. On the Virginia side of the ball, Brennan Armstrong at quarterback, 72% on the year. That's that's pretty consistent. Um, uh, he's got over he's got 1,298 yards passing and 11 touchdowns. So this dude is a lot more of a gunslinger and only two interceptions to go along with that. He does have two rushing touchdowns, but he's not super mobile. Those were mainly close to the goal line, short distance. Um, Dontavian Wicks, their wide receiver, he's, he's clearly the go-to target. Uh, 14 receptions, 346 yards, and three touchdowns on the season. He's a guy that they really try and get uh, out on the edge and get him to kind of push the top off of the defense going deep. Uh, they also have Billy Kemp, uh, who's more of kind of a, uh, a short reception, maybe coming across the flat. Uh, slot receiver, 18 receptions, 216 yards, and three touchdowns on the year. Uh, linebacker Nick Anderson uh, is averaging 10 tackles per game for that defense, which was playing pretty well until this last week. North Carolina really, really blew the doors off of their defense and uh, and exposed some uh, some issues. So you're going to have a clash here 
of a really pretty good Wake Forest defense and a, a, a really high high paced offense from Virginia. Uh, the line is Virginia favored by four points. They are at home. I think if you're looking for a sneaky upset, I might take Wake Forest on the road in this game. Uh, but that's that's going to be a fun one to watch. Next, we've got Liberty at 3-0, and coming off of their dominating win over Old Dominion, who's terrible. Uh, and they're taking on a 2-1 Syracuse team. Uh, and I don't know if you recall, but earlier on uh, in the offseason, one of our podcasts, we talked about head coach at Syracuse, Dino Babers, really being kind of on the hot seat. And, and they've played well for him. They, they, it was a close loss that they lost. They, they have two decent wins. Uh, and, again, the ACC is, is down this year. I think if Syracuse gets this uh, win over Liberty, Dino Babers is probably pretty, pretty secure in his job for the rest of the year. But, uh, you know, one of Allen's favorite guys, uh, quarterback Malik Willis for Liberty, they don't get on TV a lot, but, man, is he fun to watch. Uh, 613 yards, seven touchdowns on the season. More importantly, though, um, well, hold on, let me finish with his uh, stat line. He, uh, he also has 34 carries for 225 yards and four touchdowns rushing. Okay, so he's a playmaker. He's mobile. He's a dual, th- a true, true definition of a dual threat. But I think what's more impressive, and you see the growth from him last year to this year, is he's throwing 71% on the year, zero interceptions. So, you know, he is, uh, he's playing really, really well, and they've needed him to because their running back, Josh Mack, uh, is, is off to a slow start this year, and they really need to try and get him going in this game against Syracuse. Uh, Liberty uh, is the number 12 total defense in the country with 10 sacks. So they're fun on offense. They're fun on defense. They haven't played a real difficult schedule as of yet. They will get, by the way, if they get past Syracuse, they will get Ole Miss later in the year. And Ole Miss is looking pretty good with Matt Corral at the helm. But on the uh, on the Syracuse side, uh, the quarterback, Tommy DeVito, um, is, is not having a fantastic year. 388 yards, only one touchdown and two interceptions. Um, and, and, and so they've tried to replace him with Garrett Schrader, 240 yards, one touchdown, one interception. They really are kind of stuck between DeVito and Schrader, and neither one's a real great option. Uh, They do have a fantastic running back in Sean Tucker. He's been playing really well this year, 51 carries, 367 yards, and six uh, total touchdowns. He also, out of the backfield, has seven receptions for 148 yards and a touchdown. So he is is really their true uh, offensive threat. You'd like to just... I guess whatever quarterback you settle on, you'd like to just get it out of their hands, get it to Tucker or some of their other athletes, and, and let them make some plays. Um, uh, Syracuse also has a top 30 defense in the country. So you got two really strong defenses, two really strong running offenses. My guess would be, unless you start to see uh, turnovers compile, my guess would be this is going to be a low-scoring kind of defensive battle hard-nosed um, affair. And so if that's the kind of game you like, which I really, really like those, uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Syracuse has a defensive end, Cody Roscoe, three and a half sacks already on the year. So he's off to a great start. Um, yeah, one other thing just to keep in mind, again, along the lines of their defense, they both are top eight in the country in, de- in a defensive yards per game allowed. 
So that's sort of going to be the lay of the land in this game, 6 p.m. on the ACC Network uh, on Friday. Next up, starting Saturday. Next up, starting Saturday, we have uh, Notre Dame. Fresh off of that pretty good win against Purdue, uh, taking on Wisconsin at 10 a.m. on Big Fox. This is big noon kickoff. Uh, Coach Stoops and Joel Klatt and the guys are going to be up there. Uh, you know, Jack Cohen, I think, has really been playing well. Again, I, I, I hold to, to that. Uh, only 63%, which is not fantastic, but 828 yards, eight touchdowns, only two interceptions. He had some tough spots. Uh, where at least one of those interceptions can kind of be credited to just being really kind of in a pickle. Um, but well, another thing uh, for uh, Notre Dame to consider is the kid Buckner. He, he's played well. I don't know how maybe you try and work him in. Cone seems to be the better quarterback. But, uh, but Buckner may be a weapon that you bring in in certain sets. Um, still, for whatever reason, they cannot get Kyron Williams off the schneid running the ball. Um, he's averaging only 70 yards rushing per game, and he only has two touchdowns rushing on the season. Uh, he's been effective in the passing game, but they cannot get the run game going, and I feel like maybe against a Wisconsin defense, uh, you're going you're gonna to really uh, get expo- exposed and exploited if you can't get the running game going. Um, the defense uh, for Notre Dame has been adequate, I would say they've only given up 381 yards uh, per game, but they are giving up 27 points per game. And so that that's the problem. The yards per game isn't, so it makes you wonder kind of are, how are they maybe ending up in poor field position. Um, Isaiah Foskey has three and a half sacks on the season as well. He's been playing phenomenal. Safety Kyle uh, Hamilton uh, had another pick this last weekend. He's got 21 tackles and three interceptions on the season. He is a clear pro. Um, on the Wisconsin side, Graham Mertz, uh, 67% on the season, which is, again, kind of, mm, it's about average, a little bit, maybe a little bit more than average. 326 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. So they really embraced, I remember early on we talked about, Alan and I did, about how Wisconsin's identity has been running the ball, running the ball. And when you get a kind of a gunslinger in like Graham Mertz, we were wondering whether it, you know they would try and force the pass too much. That seemed to be some of the problem in the uh, early game against Penn State when they lost. Uh, but they certainly settled back into running the ball heavy. Um, they are averaging 6.4 yards per rush uh, on, on this uh, season. And, and Mertz, again, I mean, 326 pass yards, you know, you're really limiting his exposure. In week one, uh, like I was saying against Penn State, they only averaged 3.1 yards per rush. So now they're averaging almost double that. Uh, they also had three turnovers against Penn State. They're now as a team, even in the turnover margin. Um, uh, Gurendo, uh, Berger, and Malusi uh, are really playing well. Uh, as, as they're alternating out these running backs. Um, Wisconsin last week, their defense held Eastern Michigan to only 92 yards, held them to 0.9 yards per rush. Okay, so that, I, I mean, 
Notre Dame is going to have to get creative to try and run the ball. Yeah, otherwise they're going to they're going to have a tough tough day slated for them. Uh, Wisconsin is favored by six in this game. Um, but something interesting, if you want to keep your eye on, Notre Dame is four and one versus the Big Ten in the last five years. So they they seem to have kind of the Big Ten's number, except for you know what was that one law one loss that they had? That was uh, for those of you that may remember back in 2019, uh, Notre Dame got absolutely throttled, 45 to 14 uh, by Michigan. Uh, I looked at that game. The uh, Notre Dame got uh, outgain outgained by Michigan yardage 437 to 180. I mean, <laughs> but they've come a long way. Uh, I think this game will be a lot closer than people think. I do think Wisconsin gets the win, but six sounds probably a little bit too high. I think three would be the line. Uh, so that'll be a fun one to watch. And then next we have LSU, who took out their frustration uh, after the UCLA loss. Um against uh, Central Michigan last week, and man, did they ever. This game is at 10 a.m. on ESPN. Uh, LSU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Mississippi State, who, oh, my gosh, what a devastating loss they had last week against Memphis. I don't know if you watched that game, but there's a situation where uh, the, the Mississippi State punted the ball. They were up by four, I believe, punted the ball. No, they, yeah, they must have been up by four, punted the ball, it's bouncing around. Memphis's uh, returner is not going to pick it up. It was touched by multiple two Mississippi State players. They begin to back away because they thought that the ball was downed on a punt. The Memphis returner, the, the official, by the way, waves his hands over his head but didn't blow his whistle. Memphis's returner picks it up, takes it back for a touchdown. Mississippi State loses. I was reading a story about this earlier and, and, and how the official said, well, but he didn't blow the whistle. And so that's why the ball was still live. I mean, it's just unbelievable that they that they wouldn't uh, go back in the video replay on that, see the official waving the ball dead, and and overturn that play. But um, but Mississippi State two and one after that heartbreaking loss. Mississippi State is much improved, I think, from last year. But for LSU, Max Johnson, the quarterback, sixty five percent. 864 yards and 11 touchdowns on the year. He he found some things in that UCLA game, really played well against Central Michigan. Um, the, the problem for LSU continues to be their uh, running game. And the, In week one, they only had 49 rushing yards on the game. Week two against UCLA, 51. And this last week against Central Michigan, only 56 yards rushing. Uh, that is really an issue. Um, but at the same time, uh, Keyshawn Boutte, the wide receiver, is playing exceedingly well. 28 receptions, 224 yards, six touchdowns. They have a they have an adequate to maybe better than adequate passing game, but their running game is basically non-existent, and and it's not like they've played a bunch of world beaters on defense. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, B.J. Ojulari uh, has four and a half sacks. He leads the nation, the uh, uh, LSU's B.J. Ojulari, uh, in sacks on the year. Their defense has played uh, not fantastic. They're averaging, giving up 210 rushing yards per game. 
that is a problem. So not only can they not run the ball, but they can't stop the run. Uh, the good news, though, will be that Mississippi State doesn't seem to run the ball all that much. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, Will Rogers is a quarterback from Mississippi State. He's got 1,083 yards, eight touchdowns, one interception on the season. Um, and their defense, they have the number 16 defense rush yardage per game. So, again, you got a similar situation with, like with Notre Dame and Wisconsin going on with LSU and Mississippi State where you have a really bad rush offense going up against a really good rush defense. So it's going to be uh, really interesting to, uh, to see how that plays out. Uh, Mississippi State had three turnovers in game one, four turnovers in their second game, but then, only, but then zero turnovers against Memphis. So it seems like they're being a little more disciplined, riding the ship there. It's going to be interesting and fun to watch this game, LSU-Mississippi State, at 10 o'clock on ESPN. Next up, we've got Missouri taking on Boston College. Missouri 2-1 on the season. Uh, they are a 2.5-point favorite coming into this game. This one's also at 10 a.m. on ESPN2. Connor Bazelak, the quarterback, 897 yards and 9 touchdowns on the season. Their, their stalwart, though, is the running back, Tyler Batty. 48 carries, 345 yards, and three touchdowns. You would think he would have more touchdowns, so I, maybe there's another back that they're handing it to or they're settling for field goals. But in the, in the passing game, Tyler Batty also 15 receptions, 142 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, he is doing it all for Missouri. He is outstanding. Speaking of outstanding, on the defensive side, linebacker Blaze Aldridge. Uh, 25 tackles, three and a half sacks already this season. Um, and the sophomore defensive back, Jalen Charlies, he has two interceptions and a forced fumble on the year. Okay, So they've got a number of really good players, um, but their defense, yikes. Outside of those couple players on defense, their defense has given up 455 yards per game and 29 points per game. Okay, So Missouri needs to button things up on defense. It's going to really help <laughs> Missouri's defense that Phil Dracovic has that hand injury, and he is uh, presumed to be down for the season. That's the starting quarterback for uh, for Boston College. He's the transfer from Notre Dame. He was a fantastic quarterback, and it's really sad that he went down. Uh, and since he's gone down, uh, they've got the senior Dennis Grossel in there. And versus Temple last week, they only had – 59 yards passing. That is a huge, huge problem. Um, they, they, that is a huge drop-off from Djurkovic to Grossel. Uh, hopefully, uh, for Missouri's sake, they can uh, they can improve their defensive numbers in this game. Boston College, like I mentioned with Wake Forest, Boston College and Wake Forest, the only two undefeated teams remaining in the ACC. Uh, pretty pretty interesting, pretty fascinating. I think they would have been good this year. The numbers had them going eight, maybe nine wins. But with Djurkovic going down, I mean, they they should, will maybe be lucky to make a bowl game. Uh, but on the offensive side, you know, they're still they're averaging 200-plus rushing yards per game. So, so they've kind of picked up the running game with the loss of Djurkovic. Uh, but they're going to really need the wide receiver Zay Flowers to get involved. He's got to be all over the field. They need maybe run some Wildcat sets with him, get the ball in his hands. Uh, on the defensive side, Boston College has the number 14 defense 
uh, in the country yardage-wise, only giving up 256.3 yards per game. And um, they have the number uh, five points per game defense. Um, so basically what they have moving forward at Boston College is running the ball and defense. That's what they've got to do. Limit turnovers, run the ball, defense. Uh, Missouri favored by two and a half in this game. I think Missouri will win probably by more than that just because Djurkovic just went down. Uh, and, you know, and it's only the second game without him. And they really, Grossel is not a replacement for Djurkovic. So Missouri, I think, could win this by a touchdown, if not more. Next up at 10 a.m. on FS1. You got plenty of options at 10 a.m. Um, so don't sleep in this Saturday. At a battle of two undefeated teams. SMU coming off of their win over Louisiana Tech, a sneaky good Louisiana Tech team. And, and they're taking on uh, undefeated 2 0 TCU coming off of a bye. Gary Patterson is exceptional coming off of a bye. TCU is favored by nine points in this game. That's a pretty large margin there. Uh, for SMU, Tanner Mordecai, the quarterback, has been playing really, really well. He he, uh, he wasn't slated to be uh, the starter coming in, but he's, he's stepped up 73%, 1,023 yards, 16 pass touchdowns already on the year. Uh, he has another 84 yards rushing. The problem for them so far is that they haven't been able to really exploit uh, what I think is one of their biggest weapons, which is uh, Ulysses Bentley, their running back. I mean, he has 250 yards in their first three games, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. Only one rushing touchdown for Bentley. Uh, that's that's a problem. That's I don't know if there's an offensive line issue or what's going on. Uh, some of it, you would think, is is play calling, though, right? I mean, Mordecai has 16 touchdowns passing. They're, that means they're probably not, it, rather than handing the ball to Ulysses Bentley at the goal line, they're, they're doing pass plays, which seems to have been successful so far. But we'll see how that plays out. I think you want to be a little more balanced if you're going to take on and beat teams like TCU. Uh, but SMU in the passing game, they have four receivers with more than 170 yards. Uh, Gray and Rice both have four touchdowns. Um, man, they have an explosive passing game. And their defense has forced six interceptions and four fumbles on the year. So that's another way that you can really compile up those offensive statistics is if your defense is turning the ball over. Uh, but as far as for TCU, Max Duggan uh, drives, the, drives the bus. Uh, not a great completion percentage so far this year. It's only two games, not a huge sample size. But 62%, 441 yards, four touchdowns passing. He has another 80 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the year. Their offense really is very pedestrian, or at least has been so far. Um, they, they lean quite a bit more on the run in their last game last uh, two weeks ago against Cal. Um, they had uh, 50 running plays and only 31 passing plays. So that means the running back Zach Evans is getting a lot of touches, but he doesn't Seem to have great production from it. it only only uh, 217 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, the flip side of the coin, I was talking about SMU's defense creating a lot of turnovers. TCU's defense is only, only has one interception on the year, no fumbles. So they've only created one turnover in two games. Uh, I, I think this one's going to be a lot closer. I, I don't... 
I don't. I could be end up being way off on this, but I think with with the explosive offense uh, with, with Mordecai and SMU, I, I think they've got they've got a puncher's chance at winning this. I think it's a lot closer than nine. So I would I would take SMU uh, and the points, but uh, but TCU I think will probably get the win, but it'll be closer than nine. Next up. At 1.30 on CBS, this one is going to be fun. Uh, two undefeated teams, Texas A&M, coming off of uh, their game against New Mexico, where, I mean, they won something like 34 nothing, but it was they're still having issues getting their offense going. They take on undefeated Arkansas. Arkansas had that big win over Texas two weeks ago, uh, beat Georgia Southern last week. A lot of people thinking, man, is Arkansas for real? Uh, Personally, I think they, they, they will be, I don't know if I want to say exposed in this game, but, but they will regress back to the mean. Uh, Texas A&M is a, is a good team. They are still discovering their offense, but Zach Calzada it, it now seems to be the guy. Haynes King is still lift, listed as having an injury, but I, I mentioned this after I recapped the Colorado-Texas A&M game. Uh, Calzada, I think, is a better quarterback. Uh, but uh, on the year, he's uh, 19 of 33, 275 yards, three touchdowns. Um, he's mobile. He's He's got something like 60 yards rushing. Um, th- this last week against New Mexico, the offense kicked back into gear after after being really shut down by a very, very good Colorado defense. Uh, the offense uh, production, 429 yards this last week against New Mexico. That was, was great. They Again, weren't able to get Anaya Smith going. He had the, had the injury, but they were able to get Isaiah Spiller going, which is great. Uh, 117 yards and a touchdown. Um, also, uh, DeMond uh, Demas is, is kind of a weapon that they were able to discover off the board. He had 100 yards receiving and a touchdown as well. Um, and their defense uh, played well. They, the defense is really the strong suit for Texas A&M. The offense is what needs to develop and grow, but their defense held New Mexico to only 122 yards. They have the number one defense in the country when it comes to points per game allowed, only 5.7 points per game. Uh, if they do have a weakness, it's run defense, and that's a problem because you're running up against Arkansas, who is exceptional running the ball. Um, when, it, when it comes to Arkansas, and, I mean, I guess this is just sort of a day in the life of the SEC, but their next four games, they play this Saturday, number seven, Texas a Then they get number two, Georgia. Then they get number 13, Mississippi. And then they get number 23, Auburn. You know, I mean, that is that is a murderer's row right there. Uh, so it would help them quite a bit to kick it off with a win. Uh, quarterback K.J. Jefferson has been playing well, not – Fantastic, but managing, uh, and he's not asked to do anything spectacular. 632 yards, four touchdowns, passing, two interceptions. He's run it for 180 yards and two touchdowns. He's a big part uh, of that running game. Arkansas has five players who have more than 100 yards rushing on the season. Uh, Treon Smith leading the way, 216 yards, three touchdowns. They uh, they have a outstanding running game. And Texas A&M's rush defense seems to be kind of the weakness of their defense. So that will be a fun kind of meshing point to watch for 
again, 1.30 uh, this coming Saturday on CBS. In, in you know, you want to talk about fun uh, football names, this dude takes the cake. Senior linebacker Bumper Pool leads the team with 30 tackles. He's having a good season this year. Um, and, yeah, like I was mentioning, Arkansas is the number eight rush offense in the country. Something to keep in mind, Arkansas. And, again, I have to keep getting credit to Allen about this. He was high on Arkansas. I wasn't. The numbers weren't. But, obviously, we were wrong to this point. Arkansas, in 2019, just two years ago, Arkansas was 2-10. and 10. Man, major props to Sam Pittman. I mean, in just three games, they exceeded the number of wins they had all of the 2019 season. That's going to be a fun game to watch. Next up, we have Iowa State, uh, who took out some frustration against UNLV after their loss to Iowa. They are favored by seven points uh, over Baylor, who is undefeated. Uh, 1.30 p.m. on Big Fox. So this one's going to be coming up after that uh, Notre Dame-Wisconsin game on Big Fox. Brock Purdy uh, has been relatively pedestrian. On the season, okay, that's the quarterback for Iowa State. 71% is a decent percentage, but 625 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, that that is not fantastic. Um, that's that's that was his performance coming into the game uh, against UNLV this past week. But he was almost perfect against UNLV. 21 of 24, 288 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, that he, so hopefully whatever needed to be corrected has been corrected. Also, uh, Brees Hall kind of arrived. He's had an underwhelming season as well, the running back, and he kind of arrived in this game against um, UNLV. 100 yards, two touchdowns on the day. Um, Brock Purdy, well, so that Iowa, State, that Iowa State offense only had 87 rush yards. Uh, versus Iowa two weeks ago. They had 184 rush yards versus UNLV last week. In that game against Iowa, they had four turnovers, only one turnover this last week. So they have been making some corrections, I, I, which I don't doubt. I mean, uh, Matt Campbell's a great coach. They're, they're a very well-coached team. And when it comes to yards per game, their defense is number one in the country. Okay, so Iowa State has an outstanding defense. Now Brock Purdy and the running back Brees Hall, the offense is starting kicking it, starting to kick it into form. You know, I, I think they're looking uh, pretty pretty good, and and maybe they can climb back and and be say maybe uh, ten and one going into that uh, game against Oklahoma later on in the year. When it comes to the defense, they've created nine sacks already on the year. Uh, uh, Mike Rose and Hummel both have twenty five plus tackles. The the question really and what obviously was kind of the death knell against Iowa State. Their defense hasn't uh, can't create turnovers. Uh, they've created zero fumbles on the year. Zero. Uh, that's a problem. you got to be getting in there. Eventually the ball is going to bounce your way. Um, but on the Baylor side, man, I, one, of my, uh, one of my hot takes uh, last, last week was I saw that game with uh, Coastal Carolina and Kansas, and I thought, man, you know, Kansas looks much improved. Um, you know, and so I thought they'd be a lot more competitive against Baylor. Boy, Baylor throttled them 45-7 to this last Saturday. Uh, the quarterback, Jerry Bohannon, 73%, 664 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions on the year. He's also a mobile guy. He's got three rushing touchdowns. Um, 
when it comes to the running game. Okay, this is the real outstanding part about Baylor. Uh, they have the number five rushing yards per game in the country. Yes, you heard me correct. Baylor is a run-the-ball team. Abraham Smith, 366 yards, five touchdowns. Tristan Ebner has another 300 yards rushing as well. The number four offense in uh, in the country. Um, and, and the... And their defense is number five in yards allowed. So basically, they're racking up all kinds of stats on both offense and defense. It helps when you play Kansas, when you play some of these teams, Texas uh, State, um, and some of these other teams, they're racking up stats. You know, this will be kind of the first real test. So we'll see if Baylor's arrived. But I think this one is going to be a fun one. I think Baylor is better. Iowa State's favored by seven. I would say in that seven to ten range is probably where this one will end up. Next up, one of my favorite teams, I think you all probably know by now, University of Texas, San Antonio, the Roadrunners, the fighting Roadrunners. Frank Harris, the quarterback, now he's been adequate as a passer, which is all they really need him to do. 662 yards, three touchdowns on the season, but he's rushed for 92 yards and a touchdown. Really, it's the pairing of him and Sincere McCormick in the backfield that is fun, uh, and, and, and they have an outstanding defense. So Texas San Antonio is a team that you're wanting to run the ball and just don't turn the ball over, okay? That's what you're looking for. Uh, when it comes to the passing game, Sincere McCormick hasn't been involved much. He only has three catches uh, on the year, but he has 268 yards, two touchdowns rushing. Um, this this game is a battle of two undefeated teams. you got uh, UTSA 3-0 going up against uh, Memphis, who's also 3-0, coming off of that just – crazy wild win over Mississippi State. This is at 130 on ESPNU. Uh, Mississippi or Memphis is favored by three points. This one's going to be a fun one. I think a lot of the traditional money is on Memphis, but UT, UT San Antonio is really um, really uh, coming in their own. They have a top 20 defense in yards per game and a top 10 defense in the country in points. Uh, and their defense is just really kind of defense by committee. It's really, really fun to watch the style of uh, football that they play. But as far as uh, Memphis, Seth Hennigan's their quarterback. He uh, is a uh, he's a gunslinger as well, but he's a bit of a liability. Only 61% completion percentage, 841 yards on the season. He does only have one interception, but it feels like uh, in watching that game against Mississippi State, that eventually he's going to regress to kind of his equilibrium, which will be, you know, maybe he'll throw a pick or two in this game against Texas San Antonio. Um, but uh, one of the strengths for their team, really their, their power, is running back Brandon Thomas. On 50 carries this year, he has 421 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, and then, boy, they have discovered, I mean, they, they have discovered a, a real pro. I think this guy will be a pro. Wide receiver Calvin Austin, 391 yards and six touchdowns on the year. They, they do a lot of running the ball between the 20s and then and then finding uh, finding passes, really finding Calvin Austin uh, on a pass uh, in, in the red zone. Uh, Memphis's defense has only created one turnover all year, so that's that is something that could regress uh, or come to equilibrium, or it, it could be a problem. I, I really think 
again, the teams I'm talking about, Texas, San Antonio, and Memphis, the winner of this, I think, will be ranked next week. Uh, so it's kind of fun. Memphis favored by three. I I'm I'm going off the board. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take UTSA in this game. Um, and maybe that's just me blind as a fan. Next up, we have UCLA and Stanford. Boy, everyone was so high on UCLA after that LSU win. I could not believe how inflated that they were. And what an incredible game that was against Fresno State. If you want to hear more about that, listen to the previous podcast. Uh, boy, that was so much fun. You should definitely, if you have a chance, go back and watch it. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the quarterback, uh, was much better passing versus Fresno than he was in uh, the first two weeks of the season. Uh, 278 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran the ball for 67 yards. But a problem reared its ugly head in this game, and that that was... Uh, Fresno held uh, Britton Brown and Zach Charbonnet to a combined 41 yards rushing. That is not good. They, they had been rushing for, you know, 250, 300 yards a game coming into the game, and, you, and they held them to 41 yards. Fresno State did. That's something Stanford's definitely going to look to try and do. Um, but as far as the passing game, Kyle Phillips kind of showed up on the scene. He, he's been a little bit absent the first two weeks. The wide receiver, 113 yards, two touchdowns. Cam Brown had five targets, 111 yards and a touchdown. Um, but another another problem that could look to be exploited by Stanford is UCLA's defense gave up 455 yards passing to Jake Hayner at, at Fresno State. And some of that is their defense struggling, but a lot of it is Jake Hayner just being incredible and fantastic. Uh, Tanner McKee, the quarterback from Stanford, is not Jake Hayner. He's good. He's pretty good, but he's not Jake Hayner. Uh, and so that's going to be interesting to see how UCLA's defense stands up against Stanford. Their defense, uh, UCLA, is giving up 405 yards per game. Uh, on the Stanford side, though, now 2-1. and one. Remember, they had lost to Kansas State Week 1 in and, an and embarrassing fashion. It was 28-7, I think, was the final. Um, and they replaced their quarterback, Jack West, with uh, Tanner McKee. And it has just been, in Palo Alto, McKee mania since then. Uh, Tanner McKee, 50-70 for 570 yards and five touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. Keep in mind, this is in two games and like a quarter and a half. Um, the wide receiver Bryson Tremaine uh, has 13 receptions, 165 yards, three touchdowns on the year. He's one of the main targets. Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure Stanford has the weapons to really necessarily exploit UCLA's defense, um, but they do have a a better defense than UCLA does. Okay, uh, ultimately Stanford's defense isn't great either, but they're given a 383 yards per game. Uh, but but. One guy that I, I think really deserves to be highlighted for Stanford's defense is the kid, Caillou Blue Kelly. He was the Pac-12 uh, Defensive Player of the Year last week. Um, he is he is fun to watch. He's a ball hawk. He's all over the field. He has two interceptions, one of them for a touchdown, and he leads the uh, the Cardinal, Stanford Cardinal, in tackles on the year as a, uh, as a safety. So I think, let's see, UCLA is favored by five and a half. I would say that's probably, hmm, I'd say it's probably about right. UCLA is probably a little bit less than a touchdown, 
better than Stanford, but it is at Stanford. So uh, and um, and and they've they've seemed to uh, really have things turned in the right direction. Next up, we have Tennessee uh, at 5 p.m. on ESPN going up against Florida. And Florida looked pretty good against Alabama. It was impressive how they were able to make adjustments in-game against Alabama. And after going down 21-3 to early in the game, they were able to really roll it back and had a chance, really had a, you know, a chance to be in striking distance at the end there, uh, only losing the game by two points. Tennessee, on the other hand, uh, now they're, they're classifying it as a Joe Milton injury, but they have just decided to replace uh, Joe Milton, that quarterback, with Hendon Hooker, the Virginia Tech transfer, and I think rightfully so. Hendon Hooker played well. You know, granted, it was Tennessee Tech last week, but 199 yards, three touchdowns passing. Um, uh, Hendon Hooker is, was also the leading rusher in the game, 64 yards rushing and a touchdown. So sort of to put that in perspective – He's the leading rusher in the game for Tennessee, and he only had 64 yards. And that's against Tennessee Tech. So they have some issues in their running game that they can't seem to figure out. Uh, Hooker did have two fumbles on the game. But um, but Tennessee, after uh, the game versus Pittsburgh, uh, 397 yards, zero touchdowns um, that, they're, that they're, uh, the defense is giving up. Um, and so the defense held Tennessee Tech to only 179 yards, and they forced four turnovers. So the defense stood up tall. They played well. Um, but Florida's a different animal. Uh, after a rough start for Emory Jones last week, he looked much better against Alabama. Uh, his, his stats year-to-date here, 63%, which is not great, but 459 yards. Um he has two touchdowns, five interceptions on the year. So I mentioned last week that I think it should be an open competition between Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones for this. It doesn't seem to be that way. Dan Mullen wants Emory Jones to be the quarterback. He, whether, the, whether Richardson's injured or not, he wants Emory Jones to be the quarterback. I'm not entirely sure why that is, but... Uh, ultimately, it's not a huge factor as long as, I mean, the five interceptions are a problem. But but Florida makes their paycheck on the running game. Florida has the number two rush offense in the country, 336 yards per game. Um, and Tennessee has the uh, number five rush defense in the country. Okay? So you have a collision of top five. Tennessee's got a top five defense. Uh, Florida has a top five uh, rush offense and rush defense. Tennessee's only al- allowing 54.3 yards per game on defense. That's going to be the mesh point in this one. It's going to be fun to watch. The Florida's uh, senior defensive lineman, Zachary Carter, three sacks and a forced fumble on the season. He's been uh, just a mess in the backfield. Tennessee has not uh, beaten Florida since 2016. I don't know if you recall, but that was they had Josh Dobbs at quarterback. There was some real transition and tumult at the time for Florida, but that's uh, you know, that's going back 5 years now. Florida really has taken control of this rivalry. Uh, they are favored by 20 in this game at f- on 5 uh, at 5 p.m. on ESPN. I th- boy, I I could see it getting away from Tennessee. 
I, I think 20 is fair. I think somewhere between the 17 to 21, maybe 24-point range is probably where it's going to end up at. I would love it if Tennessee could hang a little bit closer, though. That would be more fun. Next, we have Nebraska. And all the media and, and people are trying to say, oh, they, they've really found themselves. They played so well against Oklahoma last week. They lost 16-23 uh, to 23 to Oklahoma. Uh, Nebraska 2-2 two and two on the year. At 5 p.m. on FS1, they get 3-0 and Michigan State, who's coming off of that big win down in Coral Gables against Miami. Um, i got to be honest with you, Michigan State has been really impressive this is one of those teams. There are these teams every year where you got to be careful. You don't want to get too far out ahead of your skis. Uh, but Michigan State, I think, is better than Nebraska in several different ways. But um, but after a, after a poor start, Nebraska is much improved and certainly much improved against uh, an Oklahoma team who's ranked in the top five. Adrian Martinez, 289 yards, one touchdown. Uh, 34 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown against Oklahoma. He played well. He played within himself, only the one interception. Um, but, again, I highlighted this last week, and I think it's really a problem for Nebraska, is Adrian Martinez is their leading rusher. They can't get the kid, uh, uh, Stephen Carr, going, and that is not good. Uh, they only had 95 rush yards against Oklahoma. Okay, that's not good. Also, uh, Samari Torre, who looked great two weeks ago, uh, seemed to have disappeared. I mean, he was basically non-existent in this game. Um, their defense, Nebraska's defense, has given up 347 and a half yards per game. Not good. Um, but what's kind of interesting with that is they're giving up 347 yards, but only 15.8 points per game, which is which is in like the top 20, 25 in the country. So somehow they find a way to bow their neck. Maybe they're creating turnovers in the red zone or forcing field goals as opposed to touchdowns. Um, but, you know, even if this game was close, last week Nebraska's kicker, he only went one for three on field goals. Missed two big field goals last week that, uh, you know, I mean, that would have that would have put the game at 22-23. to 23. Oh, gosh. They could have been right in this game. That is a killer uh, but on the Michigan State side, I know I've been talking about them a lot. Peyton Thorne, 726 yards, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. Very impressive. Uh, Michigan State has the number 11 rush offense in the country. They're going to run the ball all over Nebraska. Um, Kenneth Walker, I, I've talked about him a ton. He is just outstanding, top running, top, top rusher in the country. Uh, and then the combination of Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor, when they do decide to pass, has been sensational. The two combined at 418 yards, six touchdowns on the year. They have a very good kind of complementary pass game to the rush game. They know where their butter's bred, and they know they know they get paid by running the ball. So they run the ball, but the but when it's time to pass, it's a very complementary pass game. And Peyton Thorne is he doesn't have a fantastic completion percentage, but he has not. Uh, thrown any interceptions on the year, and, and that's huge. Um, on the defense, Xavier Henderson for Michigan State has 25 tackles, two sacks, and an interception. He's kind of a fun one to watch buzz around. Michigan State's favored by five points here. I mean, just seeing how they just sliced through Miami with their running game, uh, three touchdowns in the fourth quarter last week. I think Michigan State, man, 
you know, I was higher than most, and the numbers were higher than most on Nebraska coming into this year, but Michigan State just looks way too good. Their offense is creating big holes. I think Michigan State could win this by two touchdowns. And our final game, 3-0 Kansas State coming off of a, a pretty impressive, in my opinion, win over Nevada, especially right after their starting quarterback, Skylar Johnson, goes down, or Skylar Thompson goes down. Um, 3-0 Kansas State at 5 p.m. on ESPN takes on 3-0 Oklahoma State, who also, I think, had a, a pretty impressive win. Uh, out at Boise State, they pulled off a 21-20 win last week. So these are two Nevada-Boise kind of group of five teams that are really, uh, they have a ton of talent. They're really up and coming. Um, and, and both Oklahoma State and Kansas State found a way to to get by them, to not get caught in the trap. Um, the sophomore for Kansas State, the sophomore Will Howard replaced Skylar Thompson and played great, did exactly what he needed to do. Uh, 199 yards passing a touchdown, but that's not what they want from him. It's 65 yards rushing, two touchdowns on the ground. He was a good complement to the running back Deuce Vaughn, who's one of the better running backs, in my opinion, in the country. Uh, he has 371 yards, five touchdowns on the year. He also has five catches out of the backfield. He's very reliable. He doesn't turn the ball over. Um and, and their great running game is complemented by the fact that Kansas State has the number six rush defense in the country. They are run stoppers. They've got hog mollies in there. And when they hold the run long enough to force you to pass, Kansas State has 12 sacks on the season. So don't get comfortable when you drop back in that pocket. Kansas State is a real workmanlike, pack-your-lunch kind of blue-collar team, and they're fun to watch. Um, but Oklahoma State, uh, boy, Spencer Sanders could do nothing against Boise State. On the game, 46%, 82 yards. Uh, he had 40 yards rushing and a touchdown, but they could not get their offense going. It's a real problem. It's not as bad as Colorado's offensive problem, but it's a real problem for them. Um, it was a real defensive struggle with Boise State. This game, boy, I hope you didn't tune in early because this game was tied at zero points at halftime. <laughs> okay. Uh, Oklahoma State does have a good defense, though. They have a top 30 rush defense in the country. Um, Malcolm Rodriguez, 36 tackles on the year. That's number four in the country. So Oklahoma State is favored by six points in this game. I'm not sure where they are getting that from. Coming off of the games they just played, plus the production on the season, I think Kansas State gets this win straight up. And that is it for our preview for week four. Week four is going to be a fun week, a lot of fun games, a lot of really fun games at uh, a lot of really fun games at the earliest in the day, 10 a.m. Okay, lots of fun. I'll be talking with Alan. Hopefully, we can uh, be back together podcasting together next week. Uh, so make sure that you're tuning in. Uh, Trying new little things, trying some uh, some audio bits and some different little things to spice this up a little bit. Feel free to get into that mailbag. Feel free to let us know with your comments, your suggestions. Uh, as we continue to grow, uh, we want to make sure that we are bringing forth the product and the information that you guys want and that you guys need. So with that being said, 
leave us those five-star reviews. If you leave a comment, Alan has promised he will read it live on air, no matter what it is. Uh, and with that being said, that is it. And here we go into week four. This has been the Fan Section Podcast. <laughs>